Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr. Today we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Todd Bolsinger. Todd has a PhD from Fuller Theological Seminary and serves as Associate Professor of Leadership Formation and Senior Fellow for the Dupree Center for Leadership at Fuller Seminary. His books include Canoeing the Mountain, the Outreach Magazine Resource of the Year in Pastoral Leadership, and It Takes a Church to Raise a Christian, a Christianity Today Award of Merit recipient. Todd is a frequent speaker, consultant, and blogger. He serves as an executive coach for corporate, nonprofit, educational, and church organizations in transformational leadership. For 17 years, he was a senior pastor of San Clemente Presbyterian Church in San Clemente, California, after serving for 10 years at First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood. Todd and his wife, Beth, have two children. So let's welcome Todd to the show. What else would you like folks to know about yourself? That's a lot, don't you think? <laughs> that is a lot, but I usually struggle beyond any more than that reading. So Yeah, indeed, indeed, yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your, your story of faith, your journey of faith, if mm-hmm. you would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was raised Roman Catholic. Um, I'm Italian Catholic by background. Um, and um, so I grew up uh, going to church with my folks and with my mother, who was very, who was devout. And um, when I was a teenager, my parents went through a divorce. And a group of folks came alongside me who um, were part of a youth organization called Youth for Christ. They ran Campus Life Clubs, which is a lot like mm-hmm. Young Life. but um, and um, And it really was the first time I'd ever heard the idea that Jesus wanted to have a relationship with me. I didn't understand that concept. Yeah. And it really was radically transformative for me because especially at a time as a teenager when um, my family was falling apart, the relationships I had with those folks became the, really the embodiment of mm. Jesus' care for me, and which led mm-hmm. me then to be join. I joined their staff. So I went on staff with Youth for Christ, and I was running high school uh, groups for non-churched kids. And then I got hired by Hollywood Presbyterian Church to be their college director. They signed. They sent me to seminary because they said, you're going to run out of those little youth talks you do by Christmas. You should probably <laughs> learn how to teach the Bible every week. And I ran out of them by Thanksgiving, so I was thrilled. And, yeah. so, um, and that church was amazing. They paid for my master's degree. I just tell every single person, every time I talk about them, I talk about that. Because, yeah. because they did, my wife and I were able to, for me to get a Ph.D., and um, I ended up going into becoming an ordained Presbyterian pastor and start, got a Ph.D. and also started teaching at the seminary level on the side and eventually became kind of went on to work at Fuller Seminary and do a lot of coaching and consulting and now lead what's called the Church Leadership Institute at Fuller. Awesome. Can I ask what version of—I've had some Presbyterians on here, but what version of Presbyterian uh, church did you work in? Yeah, I, so my, I'm ordained in the Presbyterian Church USA. So, uh, okay. Yeah, and cool. unfortunately, the Presbyterians have had enough splits over the last generation that that is confusing to people. But yeah, I'm, so I had I'm to ask. In the, I'm, in, I'm in the older version, yeah. Yeah, I think an episode that will air before you, I had someone from Pittsburgh uh, yeah, Theological Center, which is yeah, yeah. PCUSA, right? Yeah, it is indeed. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Well, cool. Um, tell us about a uh, spiritual practice or um, something you recommend or have developed that's been meaningful to you. Yeah, so I tease my my friends. I would tell them that I'm really a Presby Jesuit. I'm a pres- half Presbyterian, mm. half Jesuit. And the yeah. most significant spiritual practice of my life is the prayer of examine, which comes out of the Jesuit tradition, which is really where you spend a regular time looking back at your day, looking back at your week, looking back at your year, and from there pr- paying attention to where you were more aware of God's presence and where you were resistant to God's presence. And where did you experience the consolation of God's presence, you know, that comes to us? And where did you experience the desolation of, of rejecting God's presence? And really what St. Ignatius of Loyola, who is the founder of the Jesuits, believed, was that the more focused we are upon the presence of God in everyday life, the more God leads and guides us into that life and into kind of meaningful purpose and discernment. So it's probably the single biggest spiritual practice of my well, it is the single biggest spiritual practice of my life, the prayer of examine. Can I ask you, uh, a part of my part of my having you on here, part of having so many of my guests on here, is just for me to learn from them. So I'm going to ask you for practical. What does that look like? Like, is that just at the end of your day, like sitting down, taking a few minutes to go over your day? Actually, for me, what it looks like is every single night when I go to bed, that is my prayer. So sleeping, mm-hmm. I fall asleep, reflecting back on the day, uh, conscious of the fact that my day that the consolation of my day is more tied to my awareness of God's presence in everyday life. And mm-hmm. then it then it comes through a regular practice. Uh, once a week, our family used to have, when our kids were growing up, we had family dinners and wherever they're home, they're adult kids now, um, we have family dinners and we would do an exercise we called high and low, which was really the perfect examine, where we did that on our week. And my journal is made up of every single time I take a retreat or I get, uh, I get away, I do that on the month or the year. So it's just a repetitive process of always trying to pay attention to really believing that God's at work in the world. And my job is to pay attention to where God is inviting me into God's work of what, in, you know, what they, our, our Jewish friends call the, the healing and the restoring of the world, the Tukumal. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's good. I was recently, um, recently did a message where I talked about liminal, I was going backwards, liminal spaces and thin, yeah. Thin, thin places. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um which if I understand kind of a similar yeah. similar attitude, right? Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about your book. Uh Todd is the author of Tempered Resilience, How Leaders Are Formed in the Crucible of Change. And uh Todd, I, was, I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I was just thinking about this kind of as a pastor, communicator, like and you as an author, like how communicators are able to kind of take these little random things and just use them to bring home a bigger, broader example. So I loved how uh, in the book, Todd kind of writes about the image of blacksmithing and applies it to leadership. So uh, I guess I should say, I mean, talk about kind of what inspired this book and kind of what your goal is for the book. Yeah, so I wrote a book um, that came out in 2015 called Canoeing the Mountains, How Leaders, mm-hmm. um, Christian Leadership in Uncharted Territory. And that book was really about the fact that in a rapidly changing world, the idea that the leader would be the expert is the idea we have to give up. That really mm-hmm. leaders are usually not experts. When the world is changing so dramatically, 
um, if they try to lead out of their expertise, they will lead out of what is already um, in the past. Um, Eric Hoffer said, you know, um, um, learners inherit the earth and, and the learned are beautifully equipped for a world that no longer exists. Hmm. And many church leaders have a tendency to be beautifully equipped for a world that is passing away. And so <laughs> yeah. un, un, uncharted territory means we are in a place where it literally our leadership starts with acknowledging that we don't know what to do next. Yeah. And so we're going to have to lead the learning and we're going to have to lead people through experience of loss, like giving up things that have been cherished yeah. to them. And that's that process. And what Tempered Resilience was about was exploring that as I started talking to people more about this, I, I traveled for five years all over the country to three other countries. Mm -hmm. And what I found was the big struggle was when you started trying to take to your own people, to your own congregation, to your own organization, these concepts, they often sabotaged you. They, mm -hmm. they resisted going. We, it's the same process we see in the Hebrew scriptures when Moses is taking them out of slavery to the promised land. And six weeks in, they're saying, yeah, we may have just seen the Red Sea part and all of the Egyptian army <laughs> killed, and we may be freed, but we're running out of food, and we didn't know we were camping, and we'd like to go back because they might yeah. have killed our children, but at least we had leeks and onions for lunch. Yeah. And when people start getting resistant to our leadership, that is soul-sucking. Yeah. And leaders need yeah. to find resilience to overcome that resistance. Yeah. So you wrote this, um, you write in the book kind of early, early in COVID, yes? Actually, I finished it before COVID. Uh, okay. Mean, so, I, so I was writing this for five years, just about what was happening in the world and in the church before COVID. When COVID hit, I, it just became even more apparent, and so I went back yeah. and added some thoughts about COVID okay. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I just thought, boy, this is so applicable um, mm -hmm. in the in the COVID, even post COVID context. Uh, I want to hear, and this is kind of just for my, for fun, to walk me through if you can. You describe in the book going downtown to this blacksmithing kind of like workshop. Yeah, 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 yeah. My wife and I. Um... My wife's an artist, so she's always up for any kind of artisan work. She's a painter, and she also does encaustic painting, which is with blowtorches and wax and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I'm creating something, it's on a keyboard. I'm not very creative at all. But <laughs> we, we signed up to take a blacksmithing class in a community in Los Angeles that has not had a horse there in 100 years. Hmm. But it has a group of artisan blacksmiths, and we literally end up in this like urban neighborhood in this industrial area where there's a group of people who basically teach blacksmithing. And so we took this class, it's basic, you know, we took, I'm taking two of the classes, um, where you, before you know it, you are thrown right in front of the fire yeah. with very little protection. They give you ear protection. I thought, I thought I'd have chain mail or something. And they give you yeah. tongs and steel, and the next thing you know, you're blacksmithing. And I thought to myself, that experience is what a leader's experience. They are thrown mm. into the work before they're yeah. prepared for it or ready for it. And the experience literally of the kind of transformation that they go through is like the transformation the steel goes through and going from being raw steel to a tempered tool. Yeah. Now, you kind of alluded it to, you kind of alluded to it right there, but from this experience of blacksmithing, you kind of drew out uh, six characteristics, six main points of the book, and you applied to leadership. And I want to talk through these. Um, so you have working... Leaders are formed in leading, 
uh, heating, strength is forged in self-reflection, holding, vulnerable leadership requires relational security, hammering, stress makes a leader, hewing, if I'm saying that right, resilience takes practice, and then tempering, resilience comes through rhythm of leading and not leading. Um, so let's go back to that first point, and, and um, so you write, uh, working, leaders are formed in leading, and uh, I want to ask about this. How do you contrast this? Uh, I can't remember. You contrast this to, in the book to managing, or maybe I read that into your. But can you t- mm-hmm. can you tell us about tell our listeners just about uh, how leaders are formed in leading and how that differs from like a, a management approach? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, so management is a really important tool. I mean, managing means taking care of the things that are entrusted to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so the scriptures, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I work with Christians, you know, the script, the scriptures are really clear that being a good steward of anything entrusted to you is really important. People, traditions, resources, you know, even in the New Testament, it talks about being entrusted with the mysteries of the gospel. So management is about stewardship. Leadership is where you're taking people where they need to go and want to go and need to be transformed in order to get there, <laughs> right? And that's mm-hmm. why they resist it. So leadership requires transformation. Um, you've got to become different than you are, not just taking care of what you've been given. So the experience of the reason I talk about this in blacksmithing is this what happens to a leader. So just think about this. The moment you become a leader is right after you were an expert and successful at something that was not leading. Hmm. So if you're in sales, you're the best salesperson. They make you the sales manager. Now you're in charge yeah. of the sales team, right? You're the best speaker. They make you the pastor. Wait a minute. I'm just good at talking. Now I got to be <laughs> leading a church, right? Um, yeah. You're the best. I mean, really, you're the best person at like running a, like doing the best program in a nonprofit. Oh, we'll yep. make you the executive director. Now I got to raise money and I got to work with boards and stuff. So what you experience is that experience of going from being an expert to being a learner is the first step that has to happen to become a wise tempered leader. And so, so leaders, and that happens when you're leading. And this is what's so painful about it. Uh, I teach literally master's degree and doctoral students in leading change. And what's really important is that my doctoral students are all people who are already doing it. And more and more, my master's students are already in ministry too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what's really clear is, I mean, you can write a paper on how to lead change and you can't do it. It's like, it's like writing a paper on the physics of flight and trying to then yeah. go be a pilot. And so what we have to do is recognize that the leadership is a skill set that has to be developed and a, and a formation that is developed while you're leading. So if I'm hearing from you right, uh, I'm studying leadership in a, in a class I'm taking right now. Um, and there's, you know, historically, there's like the different understandings of leadership as like traits or characteristics that we have within us. Do you think leadership is something more like inherent within the person or it's like things we can develop as a learner? It's a hundred percent formed hundred mm. percent, but it's like, um, but just know that there are certain characteristics that make it easier to be formed. So the way to think yeah. about this is if, yeah. if you're in a seminary, everybody who goes to seminary and gets into master's of divinity takes a preaching class. Some mm-hmm. people are more articulate talkers. They're just better. Yeah. But we teach everybody how to be faithful preachers. So your natural gifts can be applied. 
but we I really do believe that leadership is in is the is formed not found it reminds me of uh, I was I was actually used this example in my class I was thinking about speaking of uh, the biblical examples uh, Saul right uh, yeah and then David after him if I'm remembering yeah. correctly like Saul was chosen because he was like taller than everybody else yeah, he was tall, good looking, and he was—he fit the prototype. That's what a leader looks like. David right. was a runt. That wasn't. Yeah. And so, you know, literally, that—I mean, David's formation as a leader came in his taking care of sheep. Mm. What he learned is that he had to be able to take care of a flock. So to this day, we still use the idea of a shepherd as a model for leadership, mm-hmm. not just not pastoral care leadership. Shepherds were military leaders, but the model is G- is David, who the very first thing he learned is he has to be able to take care of his sheep. Mm. And so the best leaders today are people who care for and take care of the people that um, that they lead. My, my colleague Scott Cormode has a beautiful phrase where he talks about how all leadership starts in the people entrusted to your care. And I think mm. that's the, the basis of management, and I think that's where leadership begins. Yeah, I love it. Uh, often, uh, in my context, we talk about um, pastoring a church being like, you know, going to seminary to pastor a church being like, you know, becoming a chef and then running a restaurant. Like, you're a great cook. You can cook any dish, but running a restaurant is often a whole yeah. other whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I actually had an older minister. I was in Scotland, and he said to me, "You keep calling me a leader. I'm not a leader. I'm a minister. I was trained mm-hmm. to be a minister." I said, yeah. well, "What do you do? I minister to people with the word of God. I minister to people with their prayers and spirit." I said, "Great. So, so what is ministry of a community of people who are charged with a mission?" And all of a sudden, he looked at me and said, "I've never been trained for that, but that mm. is what that is our call." We are the people who are who are entrusted with the mission of God in a local community. We are to form the people of God to live out the, you know, those of us who love God are called to love our neighbor, and the love of neighbor calls us into the mission of God. All right, I have to ask you a hard question. Then already, uh, we're already off script. This is one thing I've observed. Uh, I I come from the mainline context, and my observation has been that I feel like many mainline seminaries train me to be a manager rather than a leader. Do you think that's, this is kind of a hard question, so hopefully I'm not going to get you in trouble. I'll get myself in trouble. Like, do you think that's like a result of like church in general, at least in America of being like feeling like this is something we could just manage because of things were the same So I think I think the I would put it this way. There's a whole history about the history of theological education, and mm-hmm. for the last half of the generation, the mental model has been: uh, we are people who are teachers and caregivers. Mm-hmm. So so to be a pastor means you lead a people, and you teach them. You teach them the scriptures. You care for their souls. You gather them in worship for the teaching and the care of souls. Right. So when you start thinking about that as being a leader of people who actually has to actually lead the very people of God on the mission, right? The mission of God is led by the people of God in a particular area. When mm-hmm. you start taking on the fact, idea that the reason why a church exists, a community, congregation exists, is to be the embodiment of God's mission in that area. I, I say it's to, it's to answer the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. 
Mm-hmm. In this particular place on earth, we are the people who are going to carry out and be the answer to that prayer. What that requires is for us to be trained and equipped to lead that mission. Hmm. What mostly we have done, however, is we have tried to, to manage institutions or organizations that exist for teaching and pastoral care. So whoever shows up, we'll make sure you get good services. Somebody called yeah. it the vendor of religious services. And I think that what what we're coming really aware of is that is that may have been adequate in a past day, like in a day when, when um, we call it Christendom Day, where the culture yeah. gave us a protected environment. It's not. It's not. Uh, it doesn't work today in the day we're in today. Yeah. Uh, that's a great answer. <laughs> Much more eloquent than me. Uh, I know I had Dwight Shiley on, who you have, I think you cite yeah. him in the book here, and he oh, kind of yeah. speaks he's, he's to great. a similar kind yeah. of uh, similar understanding. Yeah, no, no, Dwight is actually one of the very best writers about this, this stuff. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, let's move on. I feel like we're gonna, I could get, we could stop just on any of these points and talk for the entire time, but uh, next you have heating, Strength forged in self-reflection. So talk a little bit about self-reflection and the importance for that as a leader. Yeah, so one of the ironies, so so the the goal of this book and the goal of this particular thing is asking the question, how do you form leaders to faithfully, wisely lead through the resistance of our own people toward that mission that God's given us? So, So the example of becoming a resilient um, leader is actually one of strength, like to become strong enough to handle the resistance. But there's another part to it. It's to become tempered. This is the, this is the blacksmithing analogy. Mm-hmm. A tempered tool is a tool that is both stronger and more flexible. That's what makes it profoundly different. It's a, it's a tool like a chisel that can hew out of a mountain of despair, stones of hope, to use the phrase of Martin mm. Luther King Jr. Yeah. So that process of tempering, that, that process requires a formation process that is different than we've been prepared for. And we mm. have to learn how to do that along the way. So what I'm hearing is some real intentionality of like, why am I doing this? You know, how does this fit? Is that too simplistic or is that get to well, it? Well, it's, it's even more than that. Um, the vulnerability. So the way I describe it is it's like the steel going into the fire and mm-hmm. it has to be in the fire long enough that it actually starts, the molecules start to break down and it becomes, it can absorb, yeah. the, it, it's like oozy, it's molten, right? Mm-hmm. The experience of every leader I know, here's the irony, to become stronger, to become temper, and to become wiser, to become more flexible, starts with acknowledging the vulnerability of needing to learn and experience yeah. loss. It starts in vulnerability. It's a great irony. Strength comes out of vulnerability, which is really different. Most of us were taught, you're the leader. you got to fake it till you make it. Yeah. Well, we see a yeah. whole bunch of leaders who've been faking it a long time, and they're not just making it. They're crumbling or they're taking other people down. So, this a yeah. so I want to challenge that notion and actually say you actually need to lead from an honest vulnerability that is able to, I mean, this is the hard part, to able to look at people and say, I believe we're called and that we can do this. I just also know that we're going to have to learn as we go. We're going to make mistakes and we're going to grow as we go. Hmm. Well, that kind of gets into your next point of holding that vulnerable, vulnerable, can't say that, leadership requires relational security. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you take out the steel, take the steel out of the fire, it's oozy, you got to put it on an anvil. And the mm -hmm. imagery of an anvil, thick, heavy, um, solid, can hold heat, um, hold it, and is the imagery of the kind of relationship the leaders need to be more resilient and to be wise, to be temperate, mm -hmm. resilient leaders. So I talk a lot about the critical nature of an anvil. The anvil is the center of your blacksmithing shop. Uh, they gave me an anvil um, you know, to use, and I put my name on the anvil. I was in front hmm. of a fire, and they gave me some tools, but the anvil was my working space. I hmm. want to say that for leaders, your working space, the space for your own transformation, is your capacity to have thick relationships, hmm. partners, mentors, and friends, all three. Lots of steady, trustworthy relationships. And again, most leaders think they're supposed to be these solo people out by themselves yeah, yeah. doing this. And that's, this is a, trying to be a challenge to that. Yeah, I was listening to an interview of yours uh, from a, a podcast of a local pastor near me, Steve Cuss. Uh, mm. Actually, it might not have been in your interview, but I think it was one of his other interviews. He talked about uh, intentionality of, especially for for men, straight white men, the mm -hmm. we're so want to go it alone, having the intentionality of, of developing those relationships. Yeah, it's. I think to be honest, there is a myth about leaders that leaders are solo. Even if they think about, we will talk about having solo pastorates. Mm -hmm. That's the solo is not the imagery in the scriptures. I mean, mm. Paul had partners, right? Barnabas yeah, and yeah. Paul, Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy. Jesus picked three people to be close to him, and then they picked 12. Yeah. Like like the um, Moses had Aaron and Miriam, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's the imagery of being a soul leader out front is a non-biblical image. Hmm. Yeah. Well, this next section, uh, hammering, stress makes a leader. I didn't particularly like reading because uh, I don't like the idea that more stress in some ways is better for me. Um, talk about that, and I have a follow-up question uh, on that. Yeah. Well, well, the, it's interesting. The very first question you asked me about myself is you asked me my spiritual practices. And, mm -hmm. um, and what I really believe is that the hammers are the spiritual practices that we take on. God, yeah. That's how God shapes us. So if, we're, if we are open and vulnerable and if we're in good relationships— and that hold us securely, then spiritual practices are like the hammers that shape us into the tool we need to become. Hmm. And so what's interesting about a hammer on, and I learned this from take, from talking to the person who leads the blacksmithing class. Mm -hmm. um, I did an interview with the president of the, of the blacksmithing community is um, she told me, you know, uh, every single time you use a hammer to strike the steel, you're not just shaping it, you're adding stress to it. And stress makes it stronger. You're adding hmm. the molecules are compacting. So stress makes the leader. It's the, it's hammering into it. So what we need are spiritual practices that make us stronger and more flexible. Now, here's the other part. When you take that tool and you start using that tool, so you hammer it into the rock to chisel it, you add more stress to the tool also. So the use of the tool makes you stronger up until the point that it makes you brittle. And that's why eventually we've got to talk about how to get stress out of the leader. So it's not a matter of just relaxing and resting or of working all the time. It's mm -hmm. a rhythm of leading and not leading, as, we'll talk, as we talk about at the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was curious, like, I, I like to exercise. Is this 
is it a similar kind of th- approach where like I'm putting my body in stress to yeah. ultimately strengthen my body? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't. I mean, I mean, if you, you if you said, hey, I want to run a marathon, you don't say, well, then, you know, for the next six months, I'm going to sit here on the couch and store <laughs> up some energy. Yeah, yeah. Right. Instead, what you do is you at, start running a little bit more every day. Mm-hmm. And until you build up, I mean, and you also don't go say, I want to run a marathon. So tomorrow I'm going to go run 26 miles. You instead no. start building up slowly over time. And that's, and that is adding appropriate stress. Yeah. Uh, St. Ignatius actually called it moderate stress. He said that, hmm. he said, that's what God wants for you to, to have enough stress so that you continually are being challenged and growing, but not so much that it cripples you. Or that it causes so much anxiety that you're unable to learn and grow. Yeah, that's helpful. I, that hammering really makes sense now as you're as you're saying that like you're not beating yourself to death. You're you're hit. You're it's I again going with your metaphor, your image. You're striking your piece of iron with purpose. Right. Yeah. Right, right. So, so in the book, one of the things I do is I ask leaders to think about the spiritual practices they've had in their life and mm-hmm. think about the fact that when, when I first became a Christian, like when I first gave myself to Jesus and I said, hey, I think I'm going to do a, be a ministry, people said to me, hey, look, you need, to go to the, you need to go to church every week. And I said, well, I do. Great. I said, well, you need to read the Bible every day. And I said, well, that's interesting. I don't think I ever read the Bible. So I started reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. And you need to pray regularly. So I started praying. Well, by the time I became a pastor, reading the Bible every day was not enough. I needed to do hours of deep study, right? So my spiritual mm-hmm. practice about the Scripture was really different because I was preaching every week. Now, today, as a person who's leading people through change, my spiritual practices are different. I mean, I don't preach every week. Mm-hmm. So I don't. But so, what's my role? What's the role of the Scripture in my life today? Different than when I was preaching every week. Um, what's the role of prayer in my life today? It's different as a father with adult children than it was as a single man. Mm. Um, you know, so this, so your spiritual practices need to shape you for the calling that you've been given. Mm. And in the book, I talk about four particular ones that I think resilient leaders need to develop in their lives that sometimes we don't think of as spiritual practices. Yeah. Um, I, I was particularly intrigued by you had a section in the, uh, I think it's in this chapter, where you talk about the the Viet. I think it's the Vietnam War example where the the survivor, the POW, being a someone who can face the facts, brutal facts, versus an optimist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was it's curious. James to... Stockdale. Yeah, um, Jim Collins, who's a uh, leadership writer, made famous the story of Admiral Jim Stockdale who was the, one of the longest-serving POWs, the highest-ranking POWs in, mm-hmm. in Vietnam. And he was asked the question, you know, who didn't make it through? Who, who was unable to survive? And they said it was mm-hmm. the optimist. It was people who sat down and started by saying, hey, don't worry. It's going to be okay. We're going to all be fine. We'll be out of here by Christmas. Mm-hmm. By the time Easter came around, they were giving up. He said what you actually need is the capacity to confront the brutal facts without losing hope. Hmm which is to look as realistically as possible at the reality of the world and still believe that to confront this is what we are called to do. Hmm. So where I tie that is the biblical practice of lament. Yeah, Lament is where every time we pray a prayer of lament, we read the book of Lamentations, we pray a psalm of lament, 
we enter into a lament together, we are joining with the places in the world that is groaning for justice and righteousness to be found. And we are saying, yet, oh God, we trust you. It's, it's Jesus doing Psalm 22 from the cross. Why, why have you forsaken me, oh God? Mm-hmm. And yet, we, yet he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so that process, that simply that prayer process of lament, becomes really important for developing the tenacity and strength to endure. Yeah. Well, um, this thing of survival, I, it gets us into um, your your what, fifth point of viewing, mm-hmm. that resilience takes practice. And I, don't, I don't remember where I got this from. Uh, maybe it was in a chapter, I can't remember. I put in quotations, how can I survive? I don't know if that fits, mm-hmm. but that's kind of what I what I gathered from this chapter. So tell us more about that. Well, the whole book is around that theme. The very first quote in the book is somebody saying to me, I think I can learn to lead change. I'm not sure I can survive it. So so today, when I think about pastors who are in the middle of the pandemic, and they're Mm -hmm. like, look, I didn't sign up for this. This isn't what (laughs) I signed up to do. I mean, I didn't, I mean, I, I, you know, I didn't expect to be doing Zoom calls and staying distant from people and arguing over where we whether wear masks or not, or this isn't what, I, I mean, this is hard. Well, what the Hewing chapter is about is how do you actually lead people through the change process? How do you actually Mm -hmm. use yourself as a tempered tool to wisely um, bring transformation? And it's a a process. It starts with managing your own reactivity. You have to manage your own emotions Mm -hmm. so that you don't make it worse. And then it takes you through a process of reframing, reorienting, and leading relationally. And the entire point of the process if you, is that the way the lead change starts with self-regulation, um, like I, I don't, I'm aware of my own emotions, and then mm-hmm. it's really honoring the past. We're going to reframe so that we can, we can take what we are and adapt what's important to us, but we're going to reorient it. We're not going to yeah. do stuff the old ways. And then when people start to resist, which they will every single time, that's mm-hmm. what we talk about the whole book, is that what you do is you actually get closer to them. You help them mm-hmm. through trust go through a process of their own reframing and reorienting so that we can continue to, to move forward. Yeah, I thought that point about reframing was so helpful just from a practical perspective. I mean, I've I've been someone who's led an old, old church stuck in their ways. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it would have been so much more helpful looking back if I could have done a better job kind of reframing and tying back in that kind of like, Hey, this is an extension of your past ministry where it was, it was so much for them wanting to retain the past. If there was some way to, if I could have done a better job saying, Hey, this, this future ministry fits into what you've done for years and years and years. Yeah. We, um, so one of the things, so I lead the church leadership in Theta Fuller. One of the things we do is we take churches through an 18 month process where they actually learn how to apply this adaptive leadership process through in their own church context. What we have to teach them all the time is your future starts as a healthy adaptation of your actual core DNA, your organizational DNA, your core values. So reframing is really where you help people see that you know your way of going forward is actually embedded already in the strengths you have. We just have to find them and adapt them for this day. Yeah, and that's a really important concept for people when they understand that. Look, our identity has always been about this, and yeah. we've always been a people who cared about justice. We've just somewhere along the way we stopped doing the work we we're called to do. So, what would it look like for us to engage that today? Right? Yeah, is the question. Yeah, I, even in my 
I work in a new church context now or a very young church context now. I was thinking even coming out of COVID, I could still kind of do that. Even as we oh, reimagine yeah. in many ways what church looks like, I can reframe to say, hey, this is what we've been about from the beginning. It's just we're going to look slightly different now. Yeah. You put, you put a bunch of people in a room. We do this exercise all the time. Put some people in a room as diverse as your church can be and mm-hmm. ask them to tell stories that make this uh, – tell stories. What is it that is most important about this church to you? Tell me, tell mm-hmm. me a story. Who's a hero? What's the best day you ever had? What chokes you up? What made you start coming here and stop church shopping? What is the story? When people start telling stories, what they start realizing really quickly is that those stories are animating and energizing. Mm-hmm. And those stories are, are actual values. Not what we think we yeah. should be. Like I think whenever you're trying to work on what you should be, you're, you're in a different conversation. Mm-hmm. You've got to start with who you actually are. Hmm. And when you start with who you are and you say we want to be the healthiest most faithful version of who we are, we're not trying to be something else, then what ends up happening over time is you actually can energize that change much better because people are not as resistant yeah, um, to yeah. becoming their best self as, as feeling like they're being imposed by somebody else into being something they're not. Yeah, yeah. That, not that, that always goes over well, right? Trying to enforce change on people from the outside. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about your last point of tempering. Resilience comes through rhythm of leading and not leading. Yeah, yeah. So when the in the um, tempering process, what one of the most interesting parts is the very first time I'd ever seen some blacksmiths work, they finished pounding in the tool into shape, the thing into shape, and they dropped it into the water. And I remember when the, it was a group of artists and blacksmiths actually in Prague who were just florid. They were really interesting. They were doing basically creating art for people uh, who are tourists, and it was, it was beautiful. But what they were doing is they were dropping into the water, and the water would su- sizzle, you know, mm-hmm. and then they would kind of stop, and everybody would applaud. And I thought, oh, that's, that's how you end it. Actually, when you're tempering a tool that's going to be used, not just hung on the wall, but to actually used to shape something, you actually have to go through a process of repetitively heating it up and shaping it and letting it cool slowly. And then mm. heating it up again and letting it cool slowly and heating up. And what it's doing is, it's, is as it cools slowly, it's actually releasing stress. So by the time you're done, this tool is actually stronger than the raw material, and it's also more flexible. Mm. And so, the, so what, what I remember this blacksmithing expert taught me, which said, Todd, look, tempering is the halfway point between so soft that you can't use it as a tool. It won't shape anything. And so hard that it becomes brittle. Hmm. That it'll explode. It'll break. You need it halfway in between. And so the process is adding stress that makes it stronger and then relieving some of the stress that makes it tempered. And that process is that is the process of a of a rhythm. And so, you know, so today I'm doing this with you at uh I have a I live in California, but I have a little mountain place in Idaho that I go mm-hmm. and try to get there a couple times a year, two years a year, where my whole purpose for going is to be able to release stress, be in nature, exercise, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. hike and ski and snowshoe and do stuff like that. That actually allows me to come back to the work with more centeredness. And so, so yeah, I finished this podcast and a couple more things at the end of the day today, and I get a few days off. And, and that process has a regular rhythm. You know, 
it's built into our rhythms with Sabbath. But I, I think leaders need to have a regular rhythm where they are not leading. They are doing things that are restoring, um, uh, helpful, hope-giving, you know, all those kind of things. So let me ask you a really practical question. I was in conversations all morning in my context with other pastors, and the the topic of post-COVID bivocational bivocational ministry came up again and again. Uh, mm. What practical advice do you have for pastors and leaders when I don't I I have a hard time seeing most churches I can't imagine anything other than coming out of COVID with less resources, more responsibility and more stress. Yeah. So the first thing I would do is say, ask the question, gather together a group of people, like who are your Mm -hmm. leaders and ask the question. So what is our mission? Mm. And, and, and for how long are we called to do this mission? If you want to have a church that is going to have an impact for uh, 10 minutes, then do everything you can as hard as you can for 10 minutes. Right? <laughs> if you want to have one that's going to have a, like have an impact for 10 generations, mm-hmm. then what do you need to build into it today to genuinely? like? And I think one of the parts that's coming out of COVID is that many churches are now going to have to ask the question about what were some of the stuff of the past that we know we have to let go because they're mm-hmm. not going to be helpful for us today. And then what do we need to put in the future? And one of the things we're going to put in the future is learning to lead in an uncharted territory is exhausting and difficult. Yeah. So how do we take care of ourselves? How do we have good relationships? How do we have as emotionally healthy as we can be? Um, how do we have a lifetime of service? You know, we're on a long walk toward the promised land. So yeah. what kind of resources do we need to make it through this particular wilderness or exile? Very good. Well, let's take a break, and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Dr. Todd, Reverend Dr. Todd Bolsinger. Uh, Todd, you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. Uh, so if you're Pope for a day, what do you want to do? What does that day look like? That kind of thing. Actually, I say this all the time. I usually say bishop, but pope is even better. Mm-hmm. I would basically say this. I would say to anybody who's leading, if you are leading— and you do not have a therapist, a spiritual director, or a coach, then I'm going to consider that leadership malpractice. Yeah. I think it is malpractice to lead alone. Uh, I learned that from my wife, actually, who is mm-hmm. a marriage family therapist, and she told me once, I'm, I have supervision for my 15 clients, and you have 1,500 members, and nobody ever asks you anything. <laughs> and so I started realizing we are expecting people to lead alone. If LeBron James needs a coach to play basketball, you need a coach to lead your congregation. So if I could be charge of anything, that's what I would decree. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life? Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh, so many. Um, I would love to meet Dr. King. If I could bring him back mm-hmm. and spend time with him and ask him. I mean, I, I've, spent, I've done a deep dive into Dr. King's oratory and his leadership and his life, and I would I would— cherish that time awesome um what do you think history will remember from our current time and place i actually think that history is going to remember this season in the life of the church as one of the low points oh i think our i think that we have not it has not been our finest hour i think Mm. that covid has revealed 
and that we are not nearly as profoundly we are not nearly as profoundly good at witnessing to the reality of Jesus as we wanted to be. That the division of the church at the moment and the political divisions have really become difficult. I hope it'll reveal that we became repentant and humble mm-hmm. and that we came out of it stronger than ever. But I think that we have been in a pretty hard time. Not it's there's there's shoots of hope throughout and and mo- moments of light in the midst of it. But this has been a really challenging time. Well, that is my next question. What do you hope for the future? Would that be it? Well, the biggest hope I have is the number of people who are actually honestly saying, um, I need to learn to lead all over again. We've got to mm. learn over. We've got to, it's the, it is the humility I see, especially in a generation that is willing. The new, um, I think I get to spend a lot of my time with younger leaders who are saying, we want to learn somehow differently and we want to be a different kind of people. And so um, learners make me hopeful, and I see mm. more people open to learning. Awesome. Well, where can people find out more about you and uh, get a copy of the book? Yeah, well, so the book can be found wherever books are sold. Um, the, the best way to get a hold of me is um, through – you can actually send a text to change because I wow. lead change. Change to 66866. Send a text to change to 66866. It gets you connected to the Dupree Center where I'm in charge of the Church Leadership Institute. So change to 66866 or dupree.org slash church, and that's where all my stuff lives. All right. I will include that in our show notes. So, Tom, thanks so much for your time. Uh, Thank you, Lauren. Appreciate the conversation, and I I hope and pray that uh, beyond this is restful and relaxing. Good. Yeah, thank you indeed. Yeah, nice to be with you. I always leave folks with a word of peace, so may God's peace be with you. Thank you, and also with you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is produced by Torn Curtain Arts in partnership with Resonate Media. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit futurechristian.com. If you've enjoyed the show and you think it would be valuable for others to hear, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. That really helps more people find us. Thanks again. And go in peace.